All right, Ephesians chapter 4, our passage is verse 25. Ephesians 4, verse 25. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So obviously, we are still in, uh, it's going to end up being six weeks, uh, but six weeks of just dealing with difficult commands in the Bible. So I just want to give a pop quiz. (laughs) Let's walk through what we've already dealt with. What was the first week? Forgiving one another. Second week? Not complaining. Third week? Giving. Being generous, ready to share. Last week? Somebody's got <laughs> Preacher's going to come in and let us remember. Yeah, let love be genuine. Okay, so this week, here we are. Now, uh, here's the deal. This passage came to my mind, um, but I need to give you some, some introductory thoughts about why we're here, okay? So I intend to do something with this passage that's a little bit different. Now, I don't intend to remove it out of its context or take it out of its context, but I do intend to sort of shed some light on an application for this passage that maybe seems to lie on the outside. It would not seem that this is the initial intent or application of this passage, but I do think it's a proper application for us to take. So so here's the idea. When we look at this passage, we would probably think immediately what it's referencing is don't lie to one another. And certainly that would be true. And certainly that would even be a a point worth preaching about. And I have no doubts that at some point in the life of this church, we will deal with that. Because Christians, that is something that can affect the life of Christians. To lie. To have temptations to lie. To have temptations to exaggerate the truth. To have temptations to uh, spread false information. All sorts of sins that would sort of fit into this category. And even though that's true, that is not what I intend to do. What I intend to do is to deal with this. This passage is not simply a prohibition against lying to one another, but I find it to be an exhortation, a commandment, that you actually speak truth actively to one another. You're not just just passively not lying, but you are actually, actually speaking truth into one another's lives. And I think that that even though it may be on the outskirts of this verse, it's not necessarily uh, the main intention that we might get right away. I do want us to see this because this is where we might have fear that there's a there's a shying away of act, actually uh, intentionally speaking truth into somebody's life. And herein is the is really the connection with the series that we're working through. This is the difficulty. You and I know that this is difficult. This is no easy thing. It is not easy to just speak truth with one another, especially when the truth that needs to be spoken is a difficult one. Especially when the truth that needs to be spoken is one that might bring uh, disruption in harmony between brothers or sisters. And this is, brethren, this is a fear that we deal with. I I know that you do, because I I do. Every Christian does. when, when we read this verse and we hear the call that we're supposed to be doing that, I know the wrestle as much as you do. And it is important for us to measure out the benefit of actually doing it versus the potential of problems that could arise if we don't do it. So even though it's uncomfortable, I, I want you to see it. I want you to feel the weight of it. I want you to feel the, the pressing upon you to actively seek out in your brethren ways to speak truth to one another, to encourage them to deal with difficult issues. And here's the deal. To say that this is difficult is really no stretch because 
think about a couple. Let me pose you a couple of questions. Is it easy or is it hard to expose a brother or sister in sin when they don't recognize that they're in sin and they don't think that they're in sin? That's hard. It's not easy to do. Is it hard or is it easy to expose someone's complacency to Christ when they think themselves to be some valiant servant for Christ? That's hard. That's hard to do. Some other ones. Is it easy or hard to tell a brother or sister that they're not gifted in a particular area that they consider themselves to be very gifted in? Brethren, that's a hard thing to do. That's a difficult conversation to have. Is it easy or is it hard to tell someone who believes themselves to be called to something specific that God has not called them to do that? That's a vi- Brethren, these are difficult things. Is it easy or is it hard to speak truth to your brother or your sister when the potential outcome is one of disunity, it's one of frustration, it's one of estrangement from one another potentially? Brethren, it's hard. And that's why, that's why we shy away from doing it. That's why often we let things go on. We let things remain that ought not remain. We let our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ continue in something that's not fruitful for them. That's not beneficial. That's not useful for the kingdom of God. Because we are more interested in our own reputation. If, th- if I say something to this person and they don't like it, and they then in turn don't like me, I don't want that. And so we, we weigh that as more value than being concerned about the benefit of the kingdom of God, the propagation of the kingdom of God, this individual Christian's most usefulness in God's kingdom, and ultimately God's glory. And brethren, that's our sin. And we have to deal with that. The fact that we will at times refuse to actually speak truth that needs to be spoken is sin on our part, and we have to deal with it. So, the last thing that I want you to see is this. I don't necessarily intend this to be so much of a uh, rebuke or some kind of uh, exhortation uh, to come out of sin. This is not necessarily intended to say, you don't do this, you need to do this. Uh, Because all of the other messages have sort of been that. They have been sort of alarms to our conscience to say, we, we need to step out of this realm of disobedience. We're, you know, just calling back to some of the other uh, messages. Often we're unforgiving. We're very often complaining. We're not ready to give. We're not ready to share. Often our love is not genuine. And the, and the point was to expose the heart and to, to show the sin, and to draw you out of it, and to put you on a path to proper obedience to God. With, with this, it's going to be somewhat different. It, this really is intended more so for you to see that if we would, if we would do this, not so much to say that you're, you're not doing it and you need to repent, but that if we would give ourselves to this, that it would be for the betterment of the church. It, it would actually affect the church in the long run in a great way. So I'm attempting to stir you up that you would see that the life of your brother or sister in Christ will receive great benefit if you give yourself to this, and the life of the church will receive great benefit if you give yourself to this. So we're going to deal with this in two ways. This will be probably. Uh, I'm fearful to say it, but I'm going to say it. This will be probably the shortest message I will ever preach because um, I really only have two very simple points. And um, there's just, I I just, I want to lay these out to you. So we're going to deal with this in two ways. The first is going to be the responsibility of the speaker. If you're going to speak truth, to your brother, to your neighbor, 
There are certain things that are very important for us to grasp onto. So that'll be the first one, the responsibility of the speaker. And the second will just simply be a counsel to those who would be the recipient. If you're going to receive uh, whatever truth your brother or sister needs to speak to you. And both of these are equally as important. It's not just important for you to hear, how do I speak truth to someone? But it's equally as important for you to say, how do I receive truth from someone? Because you could be at any point in time on either side of that. At some point, you could be one that needs to speak truth to another person. And at another point, you could be one that needs to hear some truth from another person. And you need to know how to speak it and how to properly receive it and gauge it and, and, and apply it and all of those things. And both of these, brethren, I, I'm urging you, consider both. Because you may think yourself at one point now, you may think of a situation where you need to speak truth. And that may be very true. But you may find yourself down the line someone that needs to receive it. And it's vitally important that you grasp both of these. So, let's deal with this first one. Responsibility of the speaker. Now, I have three short uh, instructions that I want to give you. Now, none of this is going to be... You could imagine that in a... a uh, a command like this, there's potential to deal with very specifics, okay? Well, how do I speak truth with a brother who's in this situation? Or how do I speak truth to a sister in this situation? And what should I say? And how should I say it? I don't intend to get into very specifics. I intend to just lay some foundational things. And I think if you legitimately give yourself wholeheartedly to these foundational things, the other specifics will work themselves out. You will not need to give uh, as much major consideration to the specifics because the undergirding ideas are going to drive you in love in these things. So the first instruction, and I want to say this emphatically uh, right at the start, brethren, are the greatest need. If you are going to speak the truth to another Christian, the greatest need for you to have is that you actually desire good for your brother or sister. That you actually want that. You don't just want to tell them the truth. You actually desire good for them, a beneficial outcome. It's not about just saying what you need to say. It is about making sure that if, if, if I'm going to speak to this person, there is an end goal in mind. Not just the saying of the truth, but something you want to get to and affect. Something for the benefit or the, the betterment of your brother or sister. And I'll tell you this, without that desire, brethren, I, it, it is so irrelevant to me how much truth you may be saying or even how necessary that particular truth may be in the moment. And I think myself in good company in saying something like that. You can go look and see 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. Aaron talked about these verses last week. Brethren, go read those. And you'll see Paul's deep concern for love for the brethren over and against a number of other things that are actually really good things. And Paul is driving home this point saying, brothers, if you don't have that, it doesn't matter what else is there. And I would expand that out, brethren, to say, if you don't have an actual desire for the good of your brother or sister, God is not pleased in whatever truth you might bring to them. Because it's not for that good outcome. It's just for your own, for your own desire to speak it. And I'll also say this, and I want to say this uh, again at the very start with some force. And I know these are some heavy things to say right out of the gate, but these are important, brethren. This is super important that we are coming with a proper heart in this. Because it's very easy to, in a situation like this that is, that is already volatile and has potential for disunity and uh, all that sort of stuff, discord between brothers. Brethren, we need to be very concerned that we are coming properly. So any attempt to speak the truth with another person 
that is not blanketed in love for them and a desire to see Christ honored, God glorified, but is rather bent on making a point. It's bent on, you know, just stirring up controversy or bringing discord within the church or between between brothers or sisters. Brethren, it is a most abominable thing to God. Look at this. Proverbs chapter 6. We're, we're going to look at quite a bit of passages in the Proverbs. And uh, I want you to see here what he says about this. Proverbs 6. Look at starting in verse 16. It says, There are six things that the Lord hates. Six things he hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. This is a poetic way of speech in the uh, especially you find it all over the Old Testament. So these are things that God despises. He hates these things. Verse 17, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false False witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. That's pretty plain, brethren. God hates that. God hates one who sows discord among brothers or sisters. God, it is an abomination to him when people do that. Especially within the church, when we ought to be marked. By love for one another. So listen to this. If you're going to another person and you intend to speak truth to them, that that very well may be painful. That very well may bring results that you don't intend. You had better be going with a completely clean conscience that you do not want to sow discord. That you don't want to sow disunity. You had better have a completely clean intent that if you're going to do that, and it's, it's, it's taken that way, that there is no way that you could ever stand before God and He could say to you, you intended that. In your heart, you intended that. You wanted that. We need to be clean from that. Not to mention the fact that you had better not be going to a brother or sister and pointing out a speck in their own eye. Meanwhile, you have this big giant log sticking out of your own eye. Jesus talks about those people as hypocrites, as whitewashed tombs, as those who pretend to clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is quite dirty and lawless and ugly. So we need to make sure none of that is there. Go to Matthew chapter 12. So that you can see with me, Jesus does not give a pass when it comes to how we are going to use our words and ultimately what they're going to be accounted for on Judgment Day. Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, brethren, listen to this, for by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. These are, I mean, this is serious stuff. This is, no, this is nothing to play around with. Jesus Christ says that on that day, He will call every word into account. And not just every word. He says He's going to call every careless word into account. The words that you just kind of spoke out and you really, there was not anything intricate tied to them. It's it just things that you threw out there. He says every careless word I'm calling into account. I'm bringing it before the judgment bar. And you're going to give an answer for it. And he says, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. 
I mean, don't just, don't read that and go, ah, but that's, I mean, sometimes we might look at that and think if we didn't know Jesus said that, this guy would be preaching a false gospel. He says, by your words, you're justified. By your words, you're condemned. What's he intending to say? That it's by the fruit of your mouth that will put on display who you are. And by the use of your words that will put on display who you are. So Jesus is going to call every word into account, brethren. And if we're going to come to another brother or sister, and we're going to speak truth to them, we're going to bring things that are difficult, we had better be sure that we are not intending discord, that we're not, we're not intentionally bringing disunity between the body, that our desire is actually for the good, for the good, brethren, and the betterment of your brother or sister. Do you actually desire that? Also, something we need to be aware of, because we tend to do this at times, especially if it is a situation where uh, we can see ourselves as maybe a more mature Christian than this other individual. Sometimes we can fancy ourselves and think that we're going to be the uh, garter of uh, discerning who's doing what within the church and how they need to act. And, and we, we sort of can tend to prop ourselves up like that at times and think that it's our job to just make sure that by my discerning of the body that I tell this brother that and I tell this sister that. And we, it's like sometimes we intend to just want to do that. But again, brethren, this is nothing to play games with. If you cannot state emphatically that your desire is that good comes out of your brother or sister. Brother, it's the same thing with everything in the Christian life. I've talked to a number of you about this in regards to evangelism. right? I mean, you see it all the time. And I've talked to different men about it. And they, they seem to state with such force that like the only goal in evangelism is that the Bible is preached or the gospel is proclaimed. It's like, well, brethren, that's... That's not, what happens if you go your whole life and you just, you're going out down the street and you're just shouting gospel truth all the time and nobody comes to Christ? Brethren, there's a real goal that the people you are speaking to would actually bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Is it not what Paul says? To some I became this way, to some I became this way, to some I became this way. Why? That I might win some. His goal is not just to walk down the street and just sh- speak gospel truth into the air. His goal is that he would win them to Christ. There's a proper goal there. And the same thing in our speaking and bringing truth to our brother. Our proper goal is that they would actually be the better for it. And that that is for their good. So we don't want to play games with this. If you cannot state that, brethren, it is better for you to withhold. It is. It is better for you to withhold. Even if you think the truth is necessary to say, it is better for you to to not speak than to speak in such a way that dishonors Christ and brings disunity within the body. It is better, brethren. So number two, once you are settled that your desire is truly the betterment of your brother or sister, You need to begin to pray. You need to begin to really seek the Lord on what you should say, on how you should say it. Listen to this, Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for him, or there's more hope for a fool than for him. Listen, brethren, hastiness in our words is, is not good. I mean, the Bible talks about this all the time. We need to get before the Lord if we are going to do this. We need to do this in a way where we have properly gone before the Lord and we have sought Him out. Don't be abrupt. Go into your closet or wherever it is that you pray and plead to God for wisdom on what to say and how to say it. Plead to God for that person and plead to God that they would even see it before you would even have to tell them it. Wouldn't that be something that we would get before the Lord and be praying, God, show them this. And then in the next week or two, they're coming to you saying, brother, I I noticed this thing. The Lord's brought it to my attention. And you're just like, 
Well, praise the Lord. I don't even I don't have to deal with the difficult thing that I was going to have to deal with. Pray for that. Pray that pray that your heart would be pure in the matter. Pray that their heart would be pure in the matter. Pray that their heart would be receptive. Pray for the specific outcome that is desirable. You actually have to ask for it. Listen, the Bible says you do not have because you do not ask. How many times, listen, we've all done it. Where we've gone to someone, said something, and we walked away going, well, that did not go well, and they did not do or act in the way that I hoped they would act. Well, did you even go and get before the Lord and ask for Him to do what you desired to be the outcome? Oftentimes, brethren, I fear that that may be the case. You may not have because you don't ask. Pray for that. Pray for unity. Pray for patience, brethren. Patience to deal with this brother or sister. There may be a sense in which they will hear and receive, but there may be a time period where that needs to be worked out and not everything is going to be smooth. Pray for patience, brethren. Pray. I mean, it just can't be overstated. Get before the Lord and pray. Plead for help. Plead plead for humility, brethren. Plead for humility. And I want you to think about this. If this is the general tenor, if this is the general manner in which the church functions, and the body knows this, like if we, if we function this way, and all of you know that one another function this way, let me ask you this. How many of you, if a brother or sister came to you and, and had something they needed to share with you that could be difficult, contention or whatever, but you knew that that brother or sister had been in prayer for two weeks before they ever even came to you up for you and for that conversation, how many of you would deny that brother or sister hearing? If you knew that, if you knew this brother's coming and he's asking me, he wants to talk to me about this issue in my life, but I know he would not do this if he had not spent real time just laboring before the Lord, weeping for me and for the situation, for the conversation, that he doesn't want disunity. He doesn't want discord. He actually wants my benefit. If you know that, brethren, and if we know that as a church, how many of you would not give a hearing to that brother or sister? I submit that you all would. But that, that is where we need to create that culture in the church where we know that about one another. Where we're convinced if this person's coming to me, I know what they have already done. They would not come hasty. They would not come without prayer. They would not come without desiring my benefit. If we can do that, brethren, I think the Lord would greatly bless it. And number three, listen, here's the hard part. You have to be, you actually have to be truthful. You actually have to be truthful. Not not half truthful, not partly truthful. You have to be truthful, brethren. You actually have to say the truth. It does no good for the person you're talking to if they come out of that conversation and things are not clear and things are muddled and we're not really sure where we're at. And that doesn't mean that you have to be harsh or you have to be rude. But brethren, you have to be clear. And I know this is where it gets hard because you can find yourself in this situation and it's, it's as though you begin the conversation and you start to go there and that person knows, maybe not the particular thing that you're going to put your finger on, but they know what the purpose of the conversation is for. And so what do you do? Well, you begin to shrink back. You begin to not want to be as clear as you need to be. And then you both go out of the conversation. The person who needed the truth goes out thinking, well, I don't know, they told me this, but I guess everything's fine. And then the person who needed to speak the truth says, I didn't even really get to tell them what I needed to tell them. Everything's muddled. Nothing's really, nothing's really settled. So you have to be clear, brethren. You have to go in and you have to have a commitment that says, I have sufficiently given myself to the Lord in prayer. I know my desires. My conscience is clean. I have to tell this person truth. And you actually have to tell them truth, brethren. You have to do that. You can't hide it from them. It does no good in the end. And here's, listen, Proverbs 25. I want you to see this. I want you to see the outcome. because. Even though we may have fear in the midst of it, 
When reproof is done properly, the Bible says it's a good thing. A very good thing. Proverbs 25. We're going to look at these two just in connection with one another. So Proverbs 25 verses 11 and 12 and Proverbs 28 verse 23. So Proverbs 25, 11 and 12. It says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Turn with to chapter 28, verse 23. Whoever rebukes a man will after... This is... So contrary to what we might think. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. So you see these things. A word fitly spoken. Some translations put it a word in season. You get this idea that a a proper word spoken at a proper time I mean, he says it's like a gold ring or an an ornament of gold. It's something precious. A proper word spoken at a proper time is actually a precious thing. It's a good thing. And here he says, one who rebukes will actually find more favor than the one who flatters. I mean, that seems contrary, does it not? But it only seems contrary if we're not going into it with, with a proper understanding. If we're not going into it understanding that this brother has had, or sister, has had the proper background before coming with this rebuke, and the other individual recognizes what this first individual is doing beforehand. Well, if we recognize it that way, then yes. The one who receives the rebuke and recognizes that it's from the Lord, that first individual receives great favor. You saved me from this. You drew me out from this. You kept me from doing something that would have not been beneficial for me. And on the flip side, the one who just flatters with his tongue is no good. Remember the the prophet, uh, I think it's Micaiah, remembering properly, but he continuously comes to the king of Israel and the king of Israel doesn't like him. You remember why he doesn't like him? Because the the king of Israel says, he always prophesies bad against me. I don't like him. Uh, And so he goes and finds other prophets and, uh, and they tell him, oh no, you can go up, go to the war. God will give it into your hand. And then he goes back again. And this prophet says, yeah, go on up. God will give him into your hand. And the prophet says, You're lying to me because he knows you need to speak truth. And then he speaks truth and then he doesn't like it. He doesn't like that he told him the truth. But the one who who is open and willing to receive what God says, that person will, that person, there's there's then going to be a thankfulness, a favor placed upon the first individual who spoke them the truth. So that's it, brethren. We need to first desire the benefit of our brother. We need to give ourselves to serious prayer in wisdom and guidance on how to do it and even when to do it, what words to speak. I mean, there may be a plethora of issues and there may only be one that is proper at the time to deal with. You're going to have to be praying through all of that. And thirdly, when it comes time to do it, brethren, you, you have to be truthful. You can't shy away in a moment of difficulty. You actually have to tell the truth to your brothers and sisters. Now, secondly, let's consider this. The counsel for the recipient. There's not a lot here that I want to say. I really only want to make one point of application, and it is uh, definitely the easiest thing to say, but it's also probably the hardest thing for us to do. And that is that we would learn to take heed, to listen, to give proper ear to reproof and correction. Um, And that assumes that it's sin more than just uh, something that a brother or sister needs to say to us that would better our walk with the Lord or whatever it may be. But we need to learn to listen to it, to gladly accept it, 
with joy and to examine it based off what they're saying, based off of the scripture. We cannot be quick to put a guard up here. I want you to listen to a couple of these passages uh, in the Proverbs. This is, uh, the Proverbs deal with this. I mean, it's replete with passages about how this is important to do. So I want you to hear some of these. Uh, starting in chapter 10, verse 17. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life. A lot of these will have a negative and a positive. So whoever, whoever heeds instruction, whoever listens to it, grabs a hold of it, is on the path to life. Well, that's good. But he who rejects reproof leads others astray. You see that? I mean, it doesn't even say that he leads himself astray. But the one who rejects reproof, it actually ripples out to such a direction that he actually leads others astray by his rejection of reproof. Chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. I mean, it's the Bible saying that. He who hates reproof is stupid. It's not smart. If, if people of God come to you, I mean, think about it like this. You remember the situation with David? David sins, and God sends Nathan up there as a prophet to speak to him, rebuke him. If he would have rejected that, that would have been stupid, brethren. That would have been dumb for him to do that. The Bible says, he who hates reproof is stupid. Don't, don't do that. Don't act that way. Chapter 12, verse 15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. Very often the case, we think ourselves right in our own eyes. But a wise person recognizes that when advice comes, they listen. Chapter uh, 15, verses 31 and 32. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. You see, listen, at a foundational level, and this is what I was talking about when I say that our desire needs to be for the good of our brother or sister. Well, why is that? Because the one who rejects it despises himself. If someone comes to you in reproof or correction or wants to simply just speak truth to you that is going to better your walk with the Lord or your usefulness to the kingdom, and you reject it, it is on you the problem is. You're, you're not allowing good things to come to you from the Lord through those who speak to you. That, that's your own thing. You despise yourself by doing that. Chapter 17, verse 10. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. You see, we want to be people of understanding. This is a, those are good things. When the Bible speaks about those of understanding, wisdom, that's, that's where you want to be. You want to be that. Look at chapter 18, verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. Often the case, brethren, when someone's going to come and they, need, they want to speak to you, it is often the case that we have a desire to express our own opinion. Why that's wrong, or why you don't have a place to speak that. Fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but they, they just want to speak their own ideas, their own opinion, their own justification. Verse 20 or chapter 27, 
verses 5 and 6. This is how we ought to think. This is how we ought to think. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Brethren, faithful are the wounds of a friend. A friend who's willing to wound for something better for their brother or sister, that is a good thing. That is a faithful brother or sister. That is one that you can trust. They have your, they have your uh, betterment in mind. Chapter 27, or 29, sorry, 29, verse 1. Listen to this. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. You remember uh, in Pilgrim's Progress, we were just talking about this before everything, that, that man in the cage, and he talks about how he had continuously scorned the the grace of God, and just continued to sin against the grace of God. Stiffened his neck. Often, uh, people will be reproved and reproved and reproved and rebuked and exhorted, and they stiffen their neck. They don't want to hear it. And what happens? They're broken, beyond healing. They go to a point where there's no more return. They will no longer heed reproof or rebuke. They just go their own way. We need to be mindful, brethren, that if we, if we end up in a mindset where we're often rejecting reproof, you may find that you are suddenly broken beyond healing. So we need, we need to hear this. Uh, these are obviously by no means all the passages in the Bible, not even all the passages in Proverbs that deal with this. But this shows us something. The, the continued repetition that we see throughout the Proverbs and the rest of the Bible puts on us an extraordinary duty that we would endeavor with all of our might to act in this manner. Well, not in the manner of stiffening our neck, but in the manner of being wise, heeding reproof, listening to it, to be a person of understanding, to be one that wants to be wise, to be in the counsel of the wise. We don't, need, we don't want to stiffen our necks. We, we want to humbly listen. But you and I know this is often not the case. What happens? A brother or sister comes and we feel attacked. We feel like this person doesn't actually have my best interests in their heart and my, my benefit to God and to his kingdom in heart. And so we are quick to justify. We are quick to defend. And oftentimes we may think things like they just don't get it. They don't understand. They've never been in that position. And therefore they don't have a right to speak on this issue. We don't rationally and biblically evaluate what they're saying. Because we, we immediately throw the wall up in frustration. And we, we, can't, we can't rightly examine it. We're too busy because we're being driven by emotion. Listen, emotion is good. Emotion's biblical. We need to have it. But uh, if we can't properly have conversation, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ about things, without being overwhelmed by emotion, either in anger or frustration towards one another, brethren, that's not good. We are not people to be driven by emotion. That's what the lost world does. You get people, I mean, we, we see it all the time out at the abortion clinic with this guy who's the, the security guard. It's just like emotion driven. You say something to him and he just wants to yap off about something or the people that are coming in. You try to talk to them and tell them, we will help you. What was it? A video with Andre and Sergio the other day telling this guy, we will help you. And he's just sitting there screaming at them because he's, he, feel, he gets convicted in the heart. He's driven by emotion. That's not how we are, brethren. 
We don't, need, we don't want to be driven by emotion. We need to be rational people, thinking people, people that test by the Scripture, people that listen to one another. So may God help us to do that. I want us to think like this. David says this in Psalm 141, verse 5. He says, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. David recognized this. If a righteous man comes to him and rebukes him, David sees that it is a kindness that God gave him. It is actually a mechanism that God has hardwired into the Christian life. He's made it for that. And listen, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to say that God will never uh, do anything like he may have done in the Old Testament. He came to Isaiah in a vision and rebuked him, and Isaiah fell on his face and repentance and all of that stuff. But I will say this, it is more likely that God will send to you a Nathan like he did David. Because that's what he's made in the church. He has wired it to do that. He has put the body of Christ there to actually do that. That's the means that he does it. He has your brother and your sister that are there to exhort and encourage and build you up and edify you and rebuke you when necessary. That's what they're there for. That's that's part of how this thing works. We read that passage in Ephesians to build one another up to maturity. That's what it's for. God has built it that way. It's a function of the church. So no matter how hard it may be for us, this is the place. If we find ourselves here, the recipient of this, we need to learn to be slow to speak, brethren. You need to learn to be slow to speak. That if, if, and listen, again, this goes back to laying the the first foundation of the responsibility of the one who's going to speak. But if we know that to be the case, and you individually give yourselves to that, and then you find yourself over here on this side where the brother or sister is coming to you and you're going to be the recipient of some kind of difficult truth that needs to be spoken. Brethren, be slow to speak. Listen to them. Hear them. Don't be quick to defend. Don't be quick to justify. So as we close here, I want you to consider the wonderful example of Christ. I mean, obviously, he had no need to be on the recipient end of any of this. Uh, One time someone did try to rebuke him, and it didn't go so well. So Jesus never was on that side of it, but we can certainly learn ourselves on, on ourselves being on both sides. We can learn things about that if we would come and learn of Christ on how he spoke. It was, I, I said this in my prayer in the beginning, but in John chapter 1, I want you to see what's said of him. This is something, no doubt, that we often, I think, probably just read right over. It says, John chapter 1, starting in verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, that this idea that Jesus Christ being full of, of and, and all of this grace and truth coming through Jesus Christ. Look up a little bit. Verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Brother, what things to be full of? Grace and truth. Never, brethren, never were there words spoken from the Lord Jesus Christ that were not balanced in grace and truth. Never. Never was his truth in such a way where it wasn't covered in grace. And never did he speak in such gracious terms to never speak truth. He spoke perfectly, full of grace and truth. 
And no words came from his mouth that could have rightly been denied. And that's the key, brethren. Certainly words from his were denied. People didn't listen to him. But the fault of that was not upon Jesus Christ. The fault of that was upon the people who were listening. And we need to be that, brethren, that our words could not rightly be denied by those who we would speak to. And we see him, all different examples in the Bible. We see him at the woman at the well. He exposes her sin like no one else ever had, certainly. And yet he speaks to her words of eternal life. We see him out of the same mouth come words that display great levels of condemnation on those who would reject him. He calls them even children of the devil in John chapter 8. Put, putting to death <laughs> forever if people would just read their Bibles that every single person is a child of God. Jesus says, you who don't believe are children of the devil. And then in the same token, in John chapter 6, he lays out the promise to them and says, if you would come, I won't cast you out. We see him, like I said earlier, rebuking Peter in the strongest of terms, even calling him Satan. And then at the same time, later telling Peter that he prayed for him that his faith would not fail and that he must strengthen his brothers. And we see him standing firmly against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and all of their wickedness. I mean, Matthew chapter 23 is one of the most excruciating rebukes of anybody that you will ever read. Jesus did not mince words. He rebuked them in fullness. And at the same time, as he hangs on the cross where they put him, he prays for them. You see, brethren, there's, there's a cohesiveness in how he is doing this. There is truth that must be spoken. And there is grace that needs to be mingled with it. And we need to have both. We need to be as Christ was, full of grace and truth. And listen, brethren, that, that's our example. We need to strive to be in all ways like him. We need to strive that our greatest desire in doing it would be the love and benefit of our brother. And that for the welfare of our fellow Christian. And we need a desire that God would be greatly glorified in it. That there would not be dissension. There would not be disunity. But that the actual outcome would come about. And they would develop greater to honor Jesus Christ. And and create love and unity within the church. and, And usefulness within the church for the kingdom of God. So I would exhort you to do that. Not only to do it, but brethren, if you find yourself on the receiving end of it, to receive it with joy. And prayerfully uh, see how you might greater honor Christ. Let's pray.